Amen. You can be seated. I love to worship here. We're in, in uh, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. I'm going to read the passage. I think it's good to read it. And then we'll pray. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him and what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having children, his brother and next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first married and died having no children, left his wife to his brother. Also the second, the third, down to the seventh, last of all the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that the message might be from you to our hearts. Lord, I pray that as believers we might be equipped that our heads might be lifted in our faith, that we might worship you all week long. And Lord, I pray if there are any here that do not know you as their own personal Savior, Lord, that today you would draw them to yourself as they hear the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. The message is entitled, Questioning the King. Now, if you grew up in America, you've heard many teachers say, Ask any question you want. There are no stupid questions. I disagree with that. There are a lot of stupid questions. Lots of stupid questions. 
A stupid question is a question you ask, but you don't really want an answer to. None of these people were looking for answers. They thought they had all the answers. The Pharisees called themselves the gatekeepers. They thought they were the ones that allowed people into heaven or not. There are some churches like that. They think that that church, those pastors or priests are the ones that allow people into heaven or deny people from going into heaven. They had all the answers. These were simply traps. There's a difference between questions and a questioning spirit. A questioning spirit doesn't really want the answer. There's fear there. And they just want to have the question. They think having the question makes them smart. Or you've been in class where somebody is asking a question. They just want the teacher to affirm how smart they are. Oh, wow, what a question. Great question. They didn't really want an answer. They already knew the answer. Now they thought they had Jesus trapped. In the first question, you have a question of politics, of taxes. The Herodians are not friends of the Pharisees. They think Herod is going to help bring uh, peace and get rid of the Romans. Even though Herod's under the Rome, they think eventually he'll be powerful enough to get rid of them. So they're all about the taxes, all about the government that Herod imposes. Now Herod imposes that because he has to send it to Rome. But they come along with the Pharisees, and it says they're the disciples of the Pharisees. They send these guys hoping Jesus won't recognize them. But he knows they're trying to kill him. He recognizes right away what the question is. Now they're thinking he'll have to say, no, don't pay the poll tax. Now the poll tax is a big deal to Jews. There had been rebellions. Many people had died because their idea was we belong to God. We should not be paying uh, a tax for individual person. The poll tax, everybody had to pay a tax every year just for being in the uh, empire of Rome. Now, Rome provided a lot. Roads, you could travel. There was security because they dealt with criminals and the law. They call it Pax Romana, the Roman, the Roman peace. And so they provided, and governments charged taxes so they could provide security to their citizens. But this poll tax really rubbed the Jews the wrong way. So now if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then obviously he's going to recognize God's sovereignty in his, in his own people and be in trouble with the Jews. And if he, rec- if he says, don't pay the tax, now he's in trouble with Rome. He's causing insurrection. Don't pay your tax. There have been re- rebellions before based upon this tax. And I love the way Jesus answers. We read in Psalm 8 today, O Lord, our Lord. Isn't that precious? This majestic God belongs to you. If they had any idea of who they were speaking to, they would have shut their mouths and worshiped. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Jesus is the one that spoke light into existence. He spoke the animals and the world and the water and everything that's in our system into existence. He created light. Then he gave us light bearers, the sun, moon, and the stars. The Bible says he calls them all all by names. That's why the psalmist goes on to say, when I consider the heavens... And the world that you have made. 
What is man that you even think about him? You thought about that? And that salvation is so personal. It took a personal God to speak light into your soul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, just like when God spoke light into darkness, he has spoken light into our heart that we might see Christ. Otherwise, we would die in our sins. As smart as a man is, he would never come to the place unless God intervened to realize that he needed a Savior. That's why you can share the gospel simply and clearly with a person. And until God opens their heart, it's just noise to them. Oh, that's good. That's what you believe. It's not convicting. It's not encouraging. It's just some other philosophy they've heard. Oh, that's what you believe at your church. But they didn't recognize who he was. As far as they were concerned, there was only two answers, but this is God. But I think we need to take note of how Jesus answers. He didn't get in a panic. He didn't get angry. So often at witnessing, people get angry, even as believers, because it just bothers us that people don't know the truth, or they, they put Jesus down, or they don't recognize, and we get angry, not Jesus. He was meek. Meek means power under control. So he just says, well, anybody have a coin? So simple. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to be afraid of the world's questions. They think they have these really deep questions. Most of them will say, what about the people that never heard? Like, that's the first time you ever heard that question. Well, the Bible has an answer for that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and following, they're without excuse. Because they should be able to tell by the very creation around them that there is a God. It goes on to say, even children worship God. Out of the mouths of babes has he perfected praise. You have to teach a child to be an atheist. Guilty. But even if you don't know the answer, don't worry about that. Their soul does depend upon you knowing all the answers. It depends on the Lord Jesus. And we ought to have a heart like Jesus that's just open to hear them and to love them. Remember early in the week, he sees the fig tree not bearing figs and he curses it. He could have caused these guys to wither in their place. But his graciousness and his loving mercy, he hears the question. And the answer is so simple. Now, here's the deal. Somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to. Say, wow, that is a really good question. I don't know the answer to that question, but I will find that out for you. End the conversation, leave, and go find the answer. There's not really that many new answers under the, uh, questions under the sun. Don't be intimidated by questions. Don't be intimidated by the religions. You know the God of creation if you know the Lord. My son Sam, ministering down to St. George, teaches his people, Listen, I tell folks when I'm sharing with them, most of them are Mormons down there, I am open to be convinced that you have something better to offer than Jesus Christ. And he says, people's walls come down and they just share with their heart with them. I'm not there to argue. You can, by argument, convince somebody of Jesus anyway. It takes a miracle. So you don't have to be intimidated by questions. But I love Jesus' answer because they're so simple. See, if you're all tense and you're in fear, your brain's not going to think as well. 
So just start with, you probably know the answer. Don't worry about it. But Jesus has the answer. And he said, do you have a coin? Yeah, they got a coin. Whose inscriptions on the coin? Oh, well, that's Caesar's. And give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So simple. And the disciples of the Pharisees walked away with their tail tucked between their legs. Then the Sadducees come. Now listen, the Sadducees were religious liberals. They, they were just as strict in their legalism as the Pharisees, but they thought it was just about this life. There's no just death. Just, then there's death. So they're very much about the money and the power. And they didn't really care about this teacher from Galilee, from Nazareth, running around teaching until he cleansed the temple. And then he was messing with their money. Now they got interested and they joined the Pharisees in their desire to have him killed. But they wanted to discredit him before the people so they could see when they killed him why he had to be killed. And so earlier they kind of interrupted his teaching so he let them be on display. And so after that little embarrassment, they thought, well, we better get together and huddle up more. And so now they come one at a time. First the conservative, the strict, the legalists, and then the liberals. And the liberals have this ridiculous illustration. And Jesus always answers them with Scripture. That's just amazing. That ought to be our example. We always try to answer people with the Word of God. And so he says, well, this fellow has a brother. There's a law in the Old Testament for the Jews that if a man died without children, that his wife should be married by the next brother and raise up children in his name. So the first child born would not be the live brother. It would be the dead brother's child. We have the example of what Judah's sons did. One was wicked, married Tamar. God killed him. Brother was supposed to go in and raise up uh, seed to uh, uh, his older brother. He didn't do it. God killed him. Now listen. A two I can understand. But Judah was smart enough to go, uh, I don't need my third son dying. So he promised Tamar the third son, because she needed to have a son in order to be a part and own that land and everything that they, they would get when they got to the promised land. And he said, no, nah, something's wrong here. I'm not going to put the third son in there. This guy has six other brothers, and they all marry her. Now listen, after the second one, somebody's got to get smart. And just this is why it's so ridiculous. You don't marry that woman. She's a black widow, right? Something's wrong. They all die. But in the ridiculous illustration, because they think they've got it figured out, ooh, he's not going to be able to answer this. Whose wife will she be? They all married her. This is a problem. And they're saying that's why there can't be any eternity. That's why there's a resurrection. Because if a woman's married more than once, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus said, you are wrong. You don't know the word of God. And you don't know the power of God. Because when we die, there's no need for marriage in heaven. There's no need for multiplication for generations. Because there's no death. So all births end in eternity. We're going to be young forever there if you belong to the Lord. What a, what a thought. What a blessing. You don't know the word of God. That's what the word of God teaches. We're going to be like the angels. 
Now, I tell Christy, she's probably going to have a lot better apartment than I do. I'd like to live in the same neighborhood, check in once in a while, you know. But see, what we don't understand is we're going to be made perfect. We're going to have wonderful love with everyone there and relationship with the God of glory personally right there. We can't even imagine what that's like. Bore like angels. And secondly, you don't know the power of God. They didn't believe in the resurrection. He says, but what does the scripture say? God is the God. He said, I am the God of Isaac, Jacob, and of the patriarchs. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we read, we need courage, right? We don't know that. You, none, none of us have been dead before. You can read some of these silly stories of people that came back from the dead. If they were dead, they'd still be dead. It's interesting as you read those different stories they have, they don't mention Jesus. They talk about relatives. And you know what is, is uh, scary about that is the Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. People say, oh, I saw this figure. I wanted to follow him as angel of light. You know, this light thing came. I don't know what they experienced. But the most wonderful thing about heaven is that we are absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. Death and the rapture are the same experience for the believer. The Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, in an atom of time, will we be changed. So if we're alive when the Lord comes back, we have new bodies. Bang. The Bible says we'll all be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised, and we will be caught up to be with the Lord. That's the same as death for the believer, because to be asked from this life is to be present with the Lord. Now, we have a natural fear of death. I get that. God put us in so we don't play in the, on the interstate, you know. He wants us to live a life that's honoring to him. But we don't have to be afraid. That's why God gave us that information. It's not death. That's why everlasting life, eternal life begins when you receive Jesus Christ. Because even though your location, your address changes after the body, present with the Lord, your existence doesn't change. Now you really know life. You might remember this. I remember some of our theology professors telling us uh, Pharisees are the religious conservatives. They believe in the supernatural. They believe in miracles. They can't explain Jesus. The, the Sadducees are they don't believe in the, in the supernatural. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they're sad, you see. Sadducees. They don't know the scripture. That's something that ought to shame them over and over and over again. Jesus says, you don't know the word of God. Have you never read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Haven't you read? They were the experts. He just takes them back to the word of God. That's why the word of God is our foundation for everything. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm so thankful that you preach expositorily. I just don't know what else you would do in church. I've read advertisements in magazines that if you just, uh, you've got a lot to do as a pastor, so if you'll just uh, send off, we'll send some outlines, some nice sermons. You've got better things to do. <laughs> Listen, the word of God is the foundation in our Sunday school, in our nursery, in our youth group, in our college ministry, 
Everything is about teaching and preaching the word of God. That's the foundation for our life. Well, the Pharisees, they turned around and the Bible says he silenced them. When the Pharisees, Pharisees saw that the Sadducees were silenced. That's like Jesus silenced the waves and the sea when it was stormy. It's like last week we read that fellow that came into the wedding without wedding clothes on. And the king said, friend, why did you come? Everything was provided for you. Why did you come without wedding clothes? He was silent. Same way that someone's going to be before God one day at the great white throne judgment. Every opportunity, no excuse. Silent. Well, they had one more. The first question was political. Had to do with taxes. Trying to get him in trouble with the government. The second was theological. See how ridiculous this is. Do you really have an answer for this? And he did. And the third question is really a question of nationality. There's nothing more Jewish than this question. I think they were probably thinking, well, it seems that Jesus has turned the teaching of the word of God upside down. He hasn't really. He's just broken away all of the stuff that's been added on. He said to the Pharisees, you add burdens on people that you wouldn't lift with your own finger. He taught them God wasn't, God didn't make the Sabbath for himself. He didn't get any joy out of people doing these. He made it for you so that every seven years you got a year off. Not just professors, everybody in the land was supposed to get a year off to just worship and praise God for his provision. Every seven days, no work. Everybody gets to rest. It was a time of worship. We think of the Sabbath as Sunday. It's not. This is the first day of the week. Sabbath is Saturday. And we're over in Israel and Doug kind of pointed this obvious thing out. But you know, the Sabbath wasn't a time where everybody went to temple. It's a time where you rested. That's what God intended. But see, they were smarter than God. So they said, we don't really need to observe all those things. Because they thought they owned it. And they thought they could bless themselves better than God could bless them. But the basis of all Jewishness and their religion, their nationality, their identity. It's like the Star Spangled Banner. You know, we hear it, and as Americans, we just stand up. Because we know what it represents and what it means. I can't sing it without getting a chill up my spine because I recognize and remember all that has been done that we might enjoy this liberty. Well, their star-spangled banner was from the Scripture. It's called the Shema. And when he asked Jesus, what is, what is the great commandment? He's asking him, who are you really? Have you brought, are you going to change us nationally? And Jesus answers from the Old Testament. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Shema says, hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God. And you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. With all that you are, that's your that's your whole being is to put God first. See, Israel is very good at knowing what they should say. They said every good Jew says that at least twice today, even today. They have it a little box that they wear under their hat. They put it on phylacteries around their wrists. If you're a good Jew, you say it two or three times a day. They sing the national anthem. And that's why they're asking, what's the great command? What really is the foundation for what you're teaching? 
And Jesus answers them. And then he says, the second is like unto it. To love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets all hang on those two commandments. Think about it. See, if you love God with all your heart, you're not going to do anything against the Lord because you love him. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to do anything to harm your neighbor. Murder, stealing, adultery, coveting. That's why all of the law hangs on God's love, agape love. Jesus is love. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. To the Jew, that love wasn't really about just a feeling. It was their identity. It was their responsibility. It was who they are. And this lawyer answers. And he says to Jesus, you're exactly right, Lord. In Mark, there's kind of the rest of the story. You have truly stated that to love God with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We have the record in Acts that says after Pentecost, many of the Jews came to know, many of those priests of the priestly class came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus said, you're not far. And while they were gathered, he said, I have a question for you. Verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? And the word Christ is just Messiah. When the Messiah comes, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they, without stumbling, without even taking a breath, they said, David. He's David's son. I want to tell you something. Before they knew who Jesus was, they hadn't checked him out. They said, look and see. No Messiah comes out of Nazareth. What did the Bible prophesy? Out of Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. By now, they have checked this out. In 70 AD, when the Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple's destroyed, it was all destroyed, all those records destroyed, you can bet that they checked it out and understood Jesus was in the line of David. What they did not understand was the Messiah would be God. He is the God-man. And so he asked this question, simple question from Psalm 110. How can then, if he's the son of David, how come David says to him and calls him Lord? How can that be? He said to him, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Verse 44, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him another question. See, this is the question. Who is Jesus? In Matthew 16, Jesus had asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, a lot of people say that you're that prophet. Some say you're Elijah. John the Baptist come back from the dead. They have all kinds of things they say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. You don't understand that unless God has opened your heart 
to that idea. And if God has opened your heart, your reaction is to receive him, to submit to the gospel and follow Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus went on to say. His invitation, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Throughout history, there are many, many men, philosophers, great men that have acknowledged the greatness of Jesus as a man. What Jesus was trying to teach them is he's God. He's creator God. Josh McDowell was a, an atheist, at least an agnostic. He did not believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe Jesus was God. And so he did honest research and began to search out the death and resurrection and history of Jesus Christ. And God used that process to draw Josh McDowell to himself. He later wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter. He said, you can't, like all the philosophers of the world, just say, well, Jesus was a good man, one of the greatest men that ever lived, greatest, one of the greatest to change, change the history more than any man, and leave him there. Because if Jesus isn't who he said he was, God, he can't just be a good man because a lot of people died because of his lie if he's not who he has said he was, and that's God. He's either a very bad man, and he's a liar if he's not who he said he was, or he's a lunatic on the level of, I think C.S. Lewis said, a man who claims to be a poached egg. He's crazy. Or he is who he said he was. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. He said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I'll take it up again. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. After demonstrating to the leadership of Israel, to the nation of Israel, who he was, he leaves this question with them. Who is Jesus? And what will you do with him? Pilate, after he examines Jesus and finds no fault, Dr. Wickman believes that Pilate becomes a believer. I don't know. I'd like to think he became a believer. I know that Jesus' blood is enough for any sinner that will come to him. But in that examination, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Then he brings him out before the crowd, and he says, I find no fault in him. What would you have me do with your king? They say, crucify him. That is the question that every human being has to deal with. I don't care what kind of home you were born into. It could be the most wonderful Christian home. You need to have a time with Jesus where you submit to the gospel. Because you were born in sin. In his great confession of sin over the sin of Bathsheba and killing of her husband Uriah. David says, I was all against you God and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. I was altogether conceived Iniquity. What did he mean? From the very point I started in life, I was a sinner and I needed a savior. Even his own blessed mother says, I rejoice in God, my savior. Mary, the virgin, needed a savior. She was not born without sin. And that's why she rejoiced that a savior had been provided. Have you been to the cross? Have you received Jesus Christ as your savior? Or you're one of those that always has questions, like the Pharisees, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. How powerful it is, how clear are Jesus' answers. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there are some here that do not know you, 
that they would submit to your claim as being the king. The king who died for us. The king that washes every sinner from their sin as they repent. Lord, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.